Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Tom Whelan to the show. Welcome, Tom. Thanks. Glad to be here. I'm psyched because of who Tom is and what he does. So he is a director of inside sales at McKesson. I have zero doubt you've heard of McKesson. Uh, They are a global healthcare company with nearly 24,000, yes, 24,000 employees. Uh, They're not just Fortune 500. They are number seven on the Fortune 500. And uh, in case you haven't heard of them, it's probably because what they do is a lot of the stuff that's in the back end of healthcare, so drug distribution, but uh, like almost and systems and other things like that. So if you went to the doctor recently, I have almost zero doubt that it was McKesson inside on the on the back end. He is uh, managing managers, so he's got a lot of experience as a rep and a manager. And uh, I think what's also cool is that he's been at McKesson for nearly 13 years. So a lot of uh, wisdom and experience coming to the to the show today. Tom, I, I just sort of sang your bona fides. I'm sure you're red-faced now, but um, let's just get straight into getting to know you. I'd love to hear, you know, not that we have that much extra time, but if you had a, an opportunity to pick up a new hobby during COVID, what got your after-work focus? No, I appreciate that. I appreciate the intro. And uh, yeah, as it relates to the uh, COVID, we spent a lot of time uh, at home and we actually relocated from New Jersey to where I am today in Richmond. And uh, the one thing that we brought on during COVID was a, a new dog, uh, uh, we have a little Shih Tzu and his name's Cody and we've never had a, a dog before. And what's so funny is he's spoiled rotten and it's weird that like we love this dog so much. It's ridiculous. It's uh, he runs the show around here and it's uh, he's uh, eight pounds. And uh, <laughs> it's so funny. He's like like we have our girls now. We have two daughters and and they're in college age and they don't care about us anymore because they're doing their own life now. So this dog's taking up all of our all of our time and everything. And it's so funny. Cool. Well, topic-wise, you know, we we were talking a little bit before we started the show on on a few different things. Let's start with the with the culture piece. I mean, first of all, culture in a twenty four thousand employee company feels hard. You you've at least spent some time in a smaller company. How is it different? Well, I'll say this. You know, uh, McKesson does a good job of uh, of keeping a, a small company feel. We do a especially since COVID, um, we do a, a lot of uh, meetings and things. Even our, our our president and CEO does meetings with uh, all employees and managers and, and uh, as does our president and, you know, that kind of thing. So we actually have a pretty good, we try to give it that small, small company feel, which is, uh, you know, interacting a lot with our, our, our reps and our direct, our direct reports and that, and that sort of thing. It's a, uh, whereas uh, a small company, obviously, you know, it's maybe like started my career with a, you know, a company we think we had maybe 12 employees you know, and I, I try to take that experience with me as I as I lead uh, my group today. So today I have uh, I have four managers that uh, have approximately sixty employees, and I think the most important thing about culture is making sure that you're you know talking to them and and interacting with your reps. Like we would, uh, we do as kind of weird as it might sound, we do a roll call and we uh, in the mornings and uh, it's roll call is less of calling someone's name. We do like a this factor crap calendar we ask stand up basically right yeah that's basically kind of what it is and we get you know making sure everyone's you know ready to go for the day and and that sort of thing but the tough thing is making it i guess harder not the end of the world but harder is uh so right now our company's doing a workplace as a destination um which i think other there's a lot of companies that are kind of doing that it's optional today uh to work out of our office now our team's always been in the office so uh the importance of culture it is critical. So I think if that if you have that kind of set, everything else kind of uh, 
falls in line. You can have, you know, you can have the tough conversation because you have your, your managers or your reps will trust you to, to know that you have their best interest. You know, what's hurting is that you don't have as many interactions now. We don't see them every day, although we have to be very deliberate about it, more deliberate about it than when you catch somebody in the, in the cafeteria and you're like, how's it going, man? I know you were out cause you had a, you know, your baby and how's that? And having those genuine conversations, which, which you should be having, you have to be like now doing it on, on Skype or, or MS Teams, it's, you have to be way more deliberate about it. I do want to backtrack on one thing you mentioned just in passing is, you know, you said that they're, they're across those four managers, there's close to 60 employees. It is something I've noticed in larger companies is larger spans of control. So I, I worked for much of my career at a larger company, around 5,000 employees, and we did have larger spans of control. Can you kind of comment on on that a bit, because usually when you talk to com- people who work for smaller companies, that sort of six to eight person span of control is much more normal. And you're obviously leading knowledge workers. So, uh, you know, those tend towards smaller spans of control. So why the bigger spans of control and how do you how do you pull that off? You know, I, I think a lot of us ha- and we talk we we're talking about uh, kind of getting the routines and, you know, being able to set expectations. And, and that's like, I think, very important. I think I mentioned this, we relocated to Virginia here from New Jersey uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. And so we built a new team here in, in Richmond. So a lot of our, our reps are relatively new to our organization. The I'll say the benefit is that we were able to kind of have folks and sort of set up, uh, you know, this is kind of how we work and set up routines and things. Not so great part is you got to train everybody remotely. <laughs> so, you know, um, but I think we talk about large spans control. It's having routines and setting expectations. And so that uh, the reps know uh, what they need to do, what what makes them successful. We do have a, you know, we, we do outline what, uh, you know, what their expectations are from us and their expectations to us. And, and we have regular communication, you know, uh, all of the managers are, are doing uh, weekly meetings and uh, we do quarterly meetings and that kind of stuff and via Skype. And now it was, we're kind of hybrid in the office we are doing some of the those meetings in the office as well but you know for people i I mean i talk to people who are they want to do what you described right like you got to work for a small company earlier in your career and then you got some experiences that were super unique there and then you got to work for a big company and you got some super unique well you've been working mostly for big companies you got unique experiences there like for people who are at smaller companies and they're thinking about large companies what should they prepare themselves for and what like Where's the grass green and where's the grass more brown when you go to a big company? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. What I was able to do was learn how the, the whole kind of organization works. Uh, our big company is just a small company, just more people, more risk, I guess, too. So I would say if anyone's in a small company, you want to try to learn as much as humanly possible. You know, funny, obviously, if you're in sales, you, you know uh, uh, what makes the company uh you know, revenue, but you also want to understand that profitability, you know, how does AR work in marketing and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, shipping and freight. And it was funny, my very first big company job, I was working alongside other sales reps from big companies and, and they were understanding a lot of the, you know, FOB and all the, you know, the AR stuff, because they had worked their whole life in a, a big company in, a, in just one silo. And I was fortunate enough to see everything. So I would say if you're in a small company, you want to you want to look at uh, and learn as much as humanly possible. The grass can be greener, and and uh, in some places, you know, working for a big company is is fantastic, and I and I love being a part of McKesson. <clears throat> big companies can do a lot of things that some small companies can't. However, the part that I always say is, you know, if you were in a, a small, nimble, ten person company, you could do things a lot faster, right? You're not necessarily probably a, a publicly traded organization. You're not uh, highly regulated, probably. You know, uh, you can get you can turn things faster because that's 
there's four people there, you know, that can that they, that might uh, review a, a, a contract or, or something like that, or something that might be going out on the internet or whatever. And a big company, you know, you have a lot more lawyers, a lot more uh, boxes to check and that sort of thing. So, you know, you may, you may be able to accomplish more, maybe as it relates to acquisitions or, or maybe uh, that kind of thing, but you, you do lose a little bit of that of being nimble, you know, and that's, you just get that with a small company. Uh, oh, there's a term in the medical world that's escaped me right now. It's like, if you go get surgery from two different surgeons, it, it should be the same surgery. It, it's true in, in selling as well, right? That like, if you're a big company and you're hiring multiple sales leaders, first line managers, you want them to sort of be doing the same thing. Like, what do you do either individually or as a company to make sure that those four managers of yours are actually kind of doing things consistently? Systems training and um, if they've been selling for never or for 10 years, we still train them the same way. So we develop a common language. We develop, you know, a technique of how to say things and how to, you know, identify needs and, and that sort of thing call to actions, that kind of stuff. And I think that's important, uh, especially, um, you know, when you're, when you're bringing because yeah, you're right. Uh, we do have attrition. A lot of our reps, you know, inside might go into other areas of McKesson because we're a big organization. And so there's always something posting somewhere. And ironically, mo- which I think is a good thing, a lot of the reps that we end up losing is to ourselves internally, which is great. I mean, that's a good thing. I, I, I would love it if one day the whole uh, organization came through my shop. That'd be great, right? But we want to make sure that, you know, that while well, they're, when they're with us, they, they kind of, we use the same tools and, and we, we have the same technique. I, I sort of think of it like uh, when I was in college and, and grade school, whatever, I, I was a wrestler. And if you watch the, and I'm sure it's other sports too, but if you look at the, uh, like the best teams in high school, at least I'll say the rec programs when they were like in seventh grade, they did the same moves and the same things. And by the time they got to high school, they were really good. So I think it kind of was, if we could teach them like, you know, the basics and then you can expand on it, but they just get better as they go through. So if someone's been here for, you know, seven years, you know, they all are using, doing the same basics and they're just getting stronger and better as they go through. So I kind of use like that, uh, maybe some, maybe it works the same with pop one or football. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, there's those motions that you get used to and it does take time to get, to get better and better at. If you were to move into a sales enablement role and, and could teach everybody who came through, what are some of those basics that you think are, are there non-obvious basics or and, uh, the reason I say that is, I was sitting in a QBR and, and we were mentioning this before, you know, before we started recording, but I was sitting in a QBR and, you know, one of the topics that came up in the internal QBR was, you know, we need to go higher and we need to go wider. Well, here's the thing. And I say this all the time is that uh, we know what to do a lot of times, but we don't do what we know. So I was doing a, a new hire training. We did a whole thing on just on voicemails and how to leave voicemails. You'd be surprised how many people don't do it. Like one of the things that we, like I was teaching was say the customer's name before you say your own name. It does make a difference because I can tell you when I get voicemails, I have people calling me and selling me all kinds of stuff. Like if I hear Tom first, again, it's a small minor thing. Does it mean I'm going to sign it, sign up? No, but I'll listen. It's a simple, silly thing. And I said this to one of the uh, other reps. I said, I'm not, I'm definitely not the, uh, the beef bourguignon uh, sales trainer or manager or leader. I'm kind of more meatloaf. Like you get the basics and you'll get them over and over again, but it's substance and it works, you know? And when you're calling into a, an account and to a customer prospect, we're doing them a disservice. They're not buying from us. That's a disservice. We, we do this pretty darn good and we should be helping them. And if you just go in with that attitude, like, man, let me help you because we've been doing this so long. And, and you know, usually if you, they don't have to say that, but if you go in with that kind of attitude, it's a different sort of uh, conversation than going like, hey, help me make a commission. You know what I mean? It's like, it's different. I mean, there are many advantages to being at a bigger company and selling for a bigger company, but 
because of that kind of brand value, there's a little more trust embedded, I think, right? That we're going to treat you right because we have a hundred year reputation on the line. And if we don't treat you right, you know, that's not just this, this deal, which is just a drop in the, in the greater ocean. What's the general mix of what might be referred to as slightly more commodity sales, right? As you know, I need another 10,000 masks or gowns or, you know, or I need another piece of x-ray equipment versus where you're selling something that is more, more unique. Yeah, well, we we do again the bread and butter stuff. We do a, a lot of like, yeah, you're right, like like masks and syringes, and you know, believe it or not, our number one number one product that that in our our market is uh, adult incontinence. So, like, uh, depends diapers is an example. Um, so that I would say that's probably the, I guess, the bread and butter of it. We, that's a lot of it. I mean, but we're also selling. To your point, uh, I have a team that does nothing but uh, equipment. So they're just doing capital equipment. So they'll do the curtains and the the carpets and the beds and the patient lifts and 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 they're selling projects. So they're talking to a, a nursing home that might say, "Hey, we're looking at adding a, a, a wing and you know and, and rehab. We're doing some rehab." And so, um, but we also do a lot of lab. So a lot of like um, with COVID testing, you know, a ton of that stuff. But also uh, lipids and um, yeah, I don't. Actually, you gave me a good a good sense of it. Is like there there's definitely the negotiating pennies on the on the adult diaper side, and then the, but then there is as you mentioned this like selling the project if they're going to build out a new lab or a new testing facility. I would assume the the project thing is not even remotely a one human thing. How, how do you approach those project types of sales? So the, and on that particular team, we have, uh, they're like specialists. So they'll work in conjunction with our inside team, as well as with our field team, uh, where they own that equipment category. So they work with a lot of that stuff. Now, if you're doing a um, a floor of a of a facility, you need to work with designers and things like that. And so, typically, if we if uh, the customer doesn't work with a designer, we have manufacturers that have designers, so they'll help them spec it out. So we're working with the not only our internal maybe McKesson generalist, but we're also working with all of our manufacturer partners because the beds are coming from this place, and this guy's doing the the uh, the design of the room. This one's big, you know, that's the carpets and the wallpaper and all that. Then we have someone doing patient lifts, and then the the spot vitals. The, you know, that sometimes we call a nurse on a stick, right? That that does the the blood, the blood pressure, the temperature, and um, and pulse ox, that kind of stuff. So you're so you're basically pulling these all together. And what's interesting is when they're opening a new facility, this always makes it fun. When they're like, okay, we want to open on the fifteenth, and you're trying to coordinate ten different people to come in. So it's uh, it's project work is really what it is. But our reps in, in that group, like your job is projects. You know, but every once in a while, they're going to call like, I have two wheelchairs. Yeah, we'll sell you two wheelchairs. <laughs> but their job is really to get those projects. And I have a friend, by way of analogy, who worked in the engineering and construction world, right? So he would put on a hard hat. He would go sit in one of those trailers outside of where they were building a big building. And his job was like project. It's very, very complex project management, right? There's a there's a whole industry around that. I have to assume that this is this is as complex, if not more complex, do your, do your reps serve that project manager role or are there other people in McKesson or outside? Who, who does that? No, they're, they're the ones that they're the quarterback. So like they made, like if someone has questions about, you know, the, the torque on the bed and how high and, and low and, and all that stuff, we have manufacturer partners that we will dispatch and go out there and, and they'll do demos and, and that sort of thing. And sometimes we, you know, maybe they're not sure. And so maybe we have free manufacturers that go out there. They, so we do have, we work very closely with our, our partner manufacturers, but they're the ones that are coordinating it all. So they're pricing it, they're uh, making recommendations. In many cases, they're they're negotiating too. 
So they're working the finance part of it too. And, you know, and if they wanted to pay for it over time, we have that as well. Without going into specific compensation, you know, the typical, I talked to a lot of SaaS, people in SaaS and in SaaS, it's like everyone's on some form of a 50-50 comp plan, right? And and a lot of times they're, they're just closing business. They might hold it not at all. They might hold it for a year till the first renewal. Like they, they tend, tends to be very fast. I'm curious how the comp plan, at least structurally, is different when you have that more complex project management responsibility. Uh, they, they're paying the same scale as our regular folks that sell supplies, you know, that are selling diapers and, and diabetic strips every day. So the, these project deals, and they take they do take time, but they also do bread and butter deals every day. Like so, they will do like the little stuff too. And then those big deals, kind of like if they if they're getting, you know, maybe two a quarter, that's good. So it's like. Uh, they might be at 90% in Q1, 95% in Q2, and 150% in Q3. You know, like, it's very spiky. It's very spiky. There's a book written recently called uh, The Death of the SDR, which has created a lot of interesting discussion. I don't even want to call it controversy. I mean, I don't. not everyone agrees with it. There are parts that are contextually don't make sense, but there's two premises in that book. One is, is like we've over-specialized labor. And then the other thing is unrelated to that, is a general commentary that that incentive compensation is the way it's done in sales is is antiquated. And I, I did a, a bunch of different people, including myself, did like polls on LinkedIn or whatever. And then I've individually asked reps about different scenarios. Uh, so sort of behavioral economics questions. Would you rather have a comp structure like this or like that? And what's interesting is reps appear to be a segment of society, not unsurprisingly, who are risk-loving. Like You actually have to pay them to take less risk, which is weird. Are we in a post-commission world? Is, is that something that makes sense or not? Or that wouldn't work? I think reps need that carrot out there. I mean, uh, if you kind of take that away, I think it takes the, the role away. Because you're, you're right, uh, my, my reps and, and I think any reps I've ever worked with, I'll, I'll give you a good example. At one point, I uh, I had a, a manager I was talking to, and they were like, "Hey, you know what? I, since my goal as a manager, whatever is whatever a hundred percent, whatever that is, hundred dollars, let's say, and that's just I have ten reps. Every rep should get ten dollars as their as their goal, and then just all all those the thing, and and we'll just pay them as the whole team goes." And I'm like, "I don't know, man. I said, I don't know any sales rep that would ever want to do that." He's like, "But then this way, they they're all working as a team." Is that? I said, "Well, that's that counts." I guess. Sounds kind of socialist to me, but I don't know. And I said, I, I don't know any rep that would do that I, I, any or any good rep. Maybe if it's his first year in sales and it's like, well, let me try this. But I had this conversation actually uh, not too long ago with one of my reps. We're talking about how we set goals and, and that sort of thing. And there has to be a, a level of smoothness, but then they want those spikes. Yeah, I want the base salary, but then I want the opportunity to overachieve. You know, And if you take away that overachievement, that's what the excitement is. That's what's going to make a rep come in early and stay late and that sort of thing. And um, one, one last topic as, as we're running uh, close on time is, is just about regulated industries. You know, you've had experience selling into, I guess, more regulated parts of healthcare, less regulated parts of healthcare, and then in other segments and financial services that you've sold into. Is it that much different? What do, you, what do you have to think about when you're selling into a regulated industry beyond obviously the obvious that you need to remain in compliance? Yeah, of course, you have to be, you have to be compliant and, uh, you know, working for a publicly traded company. And as I have most of my career, they do set a lot of guidelines for you. But I think it's just sort of the uh, the words you say and the promises that you can that you don't make. You know, like uh, I am a very like whatever. I'm, even when I'm talking about uh, financing and 
you know, this is where it should look like, but make sure you check with your accountant because I'm not an accountant. I want to make that clear. I, I am not the one to give you tax advice, talk person making tax advice. Same thing with uh, when I'm in healthcare and, you know, and nothing is free in healthcare. There are some things that are no charge, but you want to make sure that you're uh, speaking with, <laughs> with the, uh, you know, your manufacturer or whether it's your clinical person. We do have a clinical staff that I will bring in when we have conversations because I can't say that a wound dressing can, can heal something faster or less. You know, I can't say that all. None of my reps can say that. We can reference them to what the manufacturer says, or we can bring in one of our, our clinical nurses that can have that clinical conversation. But uh, I think the biggest thing when you're in a regulated industry is what you what you can't say. <laughs> and that's the most important because um, now my team doesn't do a, a ton of government. Um, and that's a whole nother thing too. You, you know, putting yourself at risk. And If you're, that's like hyper, hyper regulated is, you know, public company plus medical related plus government, you know, you got like the perfect storm of every conceivable regulation. Exactly. No, exactly. Tom, it was so great having you on. Thanks for sharing your experiences and, you know, all, all manner of things. Um, for those folks who may be managers now and are looking to kind of move up to the next level, what do you, you know, for, for reps who want to move to the next level, it's often coaching other reps, right? Like that's usually the key. For people who are managing and want to move up into, you know, the, the executive ranks, what advice would you give? You know, what, what I'd say to folks, and uh, as become a student of the game, you have to constantly be working on, you know, your skills. And I, and I think when you get to a level of leading leaders, uh, the only thing that really matters is leadership. Will people follow you and will they listen to you? And do you have those relationships? And, you know, uh, I'm at the, the point where like, uh, you know, I had this conversation with one of my managers not too long ago. You can't, you, you can't sell the deal anymore. Maybe you can do one or two if you, if you spent time on it, but you have to be able to have that influence to get your folks to do that. And, and so like, I'm at a point in my career, like, like I, as much as I, I think I can sell that kind of stuff, I can't pick up the phone and, and, you know, sell $200 million, you know, over, you know, 60 rep territories. It's, it's impossible. You, but you have to be able to have that influence to get the, the team to do that. And that's what, so, I mean, become a steward the guy would be list, listening to podcasts like this and, you know, and, and becoming a, a student of, of leadership. And I think another part too is, is networking and cause you could be awesome within your organization, but if nobody knows it, that's not so great either. You know, so I think networking and, and studying up on being a leader, uh, you know, and I think some of that studied, I think some of it's, you know, uh, putting yourself out there, even within your own organization doing, you know, uh, whether it's talking on your stage at your national sales conference or participating in podcasts or writing articles, that kind of stuff. And, I belong to a few different, you know, forums on LinkedIn and, you know, uh, asking experts and yeah, I get my advice. Folks give me advice. I ask for advice. And I think having that exchange too, because, you know, uh, being, especially I've been a, a company now for just about 13 years. I don't want to have just my McKesson way of thinking. I try to, to source and talk to other people from different organizations and industries because there may be something going on that maybe, maybe I'm just not aware of, or just because I'm in healthcare and I'm in distribution and this is what we do. And, Maybe I'm missing something. So I, th I think you encapsulated it so well. I mean, I've been up and down the leadership ranks throughout my career, um, and I kind of enjoy the movement. Weirdly, I mean, I guess uh, you'd think I would want to go up, 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 but I, I sort of like going up, going down, going up, going down because I, it, it refreshes. You know, it refreshes me and keeps me on my toes. But uh, from the experiences you talked about, constant learning, absolutely. The internal networking, but also the external networking, you know, that absolutely critical. The other piece is uh, what I would refer to as being a talent magnet is if you're a first line manager, let's say, and your people are leaving, like you're in trouble, right? So you need to retain talent. You need to attract talent. You need to hire well. I think that the people, right? Obviously, that's a component of leadership is, is the people side. And then 
Yeah, for better or worse. I mean, your brand, I hate the word brand. I really hate it. But like your perceived brand inside the company by other people, are you helpful? Are you a good decision maker? Do you inspire followership? And, and you know, these days, I think a part of that brand is authenticity and, and genuineness. Um, like those things, those things really, really do matter a lot in your ability Again, for better or worse, like when your ability to, to to rise up. So for for those who are listening and trying to trying to get to the next level, those are the next set of skills that you need to master. But I just say all the time when I have a I have reps that come to me all the time and they say, Well, how how do I how do I be a leader? Just lead. And like if you are a leader, you lead, you do the right things, folks are going to notice, you know? And if they're not noticing, then that's the time when you need to have those discussions, whether it's with your one on ones or or whatever. But you you know. Lead first, and I promise you, good things are going to follow. Yeah, there's some. I wish I could come up with the expression, but it's like, well, the expression that came into my mind was "be the change you want to be in the world." But it is just like a "fake it till you make it." It's another way to put it. Is just go, just go do it, you know, and don't wait for permission. Well, again, Tom, thanks so much for being on. It was a blast uh, having you on, and, and glad your move went well. And, and congrats on your success. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.